Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever heard of blinders before? Um, the purpose of blinders is uh, pretty simple, and actually they're one of the devices that uh, literally the name is telling you exactly what they're supposed to do. Um, if you've ever seen a horse-drawn buggy before, or maybe even in a horse race, uh, you've probably seen them. As you'll see in the photo right now, um, they are basically kind of these leather patches that go right alongside uh, a horse's eyes. And uh, again, they're called blinders, and so essentially what they do is they blind the horse from being able to see kind of in all the directions, and they just focus their attention in one direction. Now, generally speaking, this is a good thing because uh, when you think about being in a horse and buggy or if you've ever driven a car in a city before, you know that seeing people really close to you and walking and things can get a little distracting. And so for a horse, the blinders kind of help reorient them and keep them from getting disoriented. It gives them a straight direction and then, uh, you know, whoever's leading them can guide them in any other way that they need to go. Now, here's the thing about blinders. I don't think they're only for horses, even though I've only seen blinders on horses before. Uh, this might be hard to believe, but I actually think there is a group of people that have blinders. Now, uh, here's the thing. These blinders are invisible, you might say. Uh, in fact, they're not even on all the time. And so even if you've never seen this other set of blinders before... I know that you've interacted with this group of people who wear these blinders. Now, you may not know where I'm going with this, so I'll just spell it out for you. Uh, this group of people who tend to wear blinders from time to time are men. Yeah, <laughs> pretty straightforward. Um, yes, I think that men have an invisible set of blinders that sometimes only allows them to see what they want to see. And I don't speak on this just from a general knowledge. I speak from this from personal opinion or at least personal experience. And for some reason, it always happens to be when we're looking for something. See, there were far too many times growing up when in my house, my brother or my dad or me would be looking for something and you'd hear one of us shout, hey, mom, where's this thing? Or uh, honey, where'd you put this? And my mom would tell us where to go look. And then after looking, uh, we would yell back, it's not here. And my mom would almost immediately respond, did you bend your back? I now realize that was my mom's way of saying in a loving way, how about you take those blinders off and actually spend some time looking for what you need? And more often than not, she was right. Whatever we was looking for was right in front of us, but for one reason or another, we couldn't see it. So I'm going to blame those invisible blinders, even if it was probably not looking hard enough. Uh, but I digress. Uh, if you worshiped with us last week, uh, you'll know that we are in week two of our Lenten sermon series, Return and Receive. And throughout the season of Lent on Wednesdays, we're looking at the return of different people in the Bible and how they return to God. And then on Sundays, we're talking about all that we receive as we return to God. And so last week, you heard how Pastor Mark talked about the ministry of reconciliation. And we receive this renewal in our relationships, both uh, with God and with one another through the ministry of reconciliation, which we receive because Jesus reconciled us to God. And so now this week, we're kind of uh, moving it forward a little bit, taking the next step here, and we're going to talk about being reoriented, how our lives are reoriented by what God does, by what Jesus did. 
Um, and that's what we're going to look at in our text from Romans chapter 12. But before we get there, I want to mention one thing. If you were to look at this part of scripture or really kind of any part of scripture um, in your Bible or even on the Bible app, you may notice that uh, there are sections, kind of little headers or small titles for different sections of Scripture. So if you were to look at this, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 to 21 in your Bible, it might say the marks of a true Christian. Now, uh, you'll know that that is not in the original text. It was added by later commentators, and um, usually it can be kind of helpful, which in this case it is. It provides context for what we're about to read, what we just heard in our reading from St. Paul. That essentially these are um, things that Christians should be doing, or you can think about it as a list that we should kind of uh, be keeping track of, activities, ways that we should be living, or ways that Christians are able to be seen by other people. You know, if you're doing these things, people know that you're a Christian, so on and so forth, right? So, so let's look at that list again, because it was pretty long and there's a lot going on. Paul starts off, Let love be genuine and hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope, be patient in suffering, persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. So, so far... This list is pretty straightforward. Um, if you had a checklist, you could probably say, okay, yeah, these are all things I've done before. Okay, I'm keeping up with this, feeling pretty good. And then, you know, Paul continues, right? The list goes on. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it's at all possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It seems like Paul kind of makes a huge jump here. You know, the first stuff was like, okay, yeah, love one another and extend hospitality to strangers. Oh, these are all kind of simple things. But now Paul's starting to say, well, bless those who seek to punish you and, and don't do anything evil to someone and associate yourself with the low. In fact, count yourself more low than the lowly. Be willing to humble yourself before everyone and anyone. If you have that checklist going, you might not be feeling as good. You might be feeling a little bit uncomfortable about the times that you've done these things versus the times that you haven't done them, or in fact, you've acted in complete opposite to them. But the list doesn't end there. Paul keeps going, so we are going to keep going. Paul says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will heap burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As Paul closes out this list, if we were feeling good at the beginning, you might not be feeling so good anymore. Because all of a sudden, you're realizing that these things are just hard to do. That, um, honestly, as Paul's telling us to care for our enemies, 
Even though he says this will be like heap burning coals upon them, it doesn't sound that way. You're caring for them. You're loving them. You're doing all these nice things for them. That doesn't sound like something that we are naturally going to do. So I don't know about you, but when I look at this list, I don't feel too good about my ability to keep up with it. I mean, sure, some of the things are easier than others. We kind of pointed that out. But overall, especially trying to do all of these things, keeping this whole list in mind, I mean, I don't feel too good about it. If, as some commentators say, these are the marks of a true Christian, I'm not sure any of us are true Christians, whatever that might mean. Because more often than not, when we take some time to really think about this list of things, or we look at this and we start to measure things out, or we start to keep a list, so to speak, we're probably not just failing at one thing, we're failing at more than one. At all times. And as if that's not enough to make us feel bad, uh, what about the fact that we just have so many other things on our minds right now? That keeping this list at the forefront of our minds is a challenging thing to do. I mean, you have to remember to wear a mask every time you leave the house. I can't tell you how many times I've forgotten it. I'm sure you have too. You have to end up, you you get in the car, you're like, okay, got everything. Leave the driveway, whoop, got to turn around. Someone forgot their mask. I've heard so many stories and I know that that some of you had shared them as well. And then uh, when you get to a store or a restaurant, uh, you're so worried about moving in the right direction, making sure you stay far away enough from people, making sure that you keep your mask on even if you have to sneeze, because that's the whole point of the mask, right? I mean, all these things that you're thinking about. And then not to mention just the daily interactions that we still have with people, even if it is just online. Don't be rude to other people, even if they are rude to you, even if you can't see them. I mean, all these things that we just have to constantly keep in mind. And I'm not even talking about what it might be like if you have kids. We're not even going to go there. But all these things that we have on our minds, and then we have this list here that, that Paul lays out for us. I mean, how hard is it to keep up? And then when we really break it down, we really come to this realization that by nature, these aren't even things that we want to do. You know, as we pointed out uh, on Ash Wednesday, it's not even in our nature to do these things because we are by nature sinful. And this is, in fact, something we talk about every Sunday. Even if you're not thinking about it during the other days of the week, it's still true. By nature, we are sinful. And we confess this before God. And we tell Him that we're sinful. But then when you look at a list like this, In the context of your sinfulness, it just gets overwhelming. It feels like it's impossible. And and honestly, I mean, it just feels like now you're recognizing your failures, your sins, and your sinfulness. But church, in the midst of having those recognizations, of coming to terms with your sin and your sinfulness, we must put on our God-given blinders. Yes, uh, you may not know that you've always had them because maybe you never thought about it this way, but God has given us a set of blinders and in fact, two very important things. God gives us his word 
and he gives us his Holy Spirit. See, by spending time in God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, instead of being focused on what the world has to say or what's going on in the world or the ways that the world wants us to act or even our own sinfulness, our lives are given a new direction. Our attention is drawn to the one thing that gives us hope. That's Jesus. See, uh, through God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus reorients our lives and he draws our focus to the cross. See, because on the cross is where we most clearly see our sins and our sinfulness. On the cross is where we most clearly see what our sinfulness has caused. And yet at the exact same time, we see where our sins have been taken. Because on the cross is where Jesus takes our sin. In his flesh, he has taken our sinfulness. And so while we look at the cross and we see our sinfulness, we also see what happens to our sinfulness. We see that on the cross, our sin goes to die. That our sins are no longer counted against us because of what Jesus does on the cross. And so as Jesus reorients our lives and he draws us to that focus, even though we see our sinfulness, we know that we are no longer bound to our sins, but instead we are free to live differently. Because of the mercy that we receive, because of the grace that we receive, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, we desire to live differently. Our lives are reoriented to what Jesus has done for us and how we can live because of him. And what might that look like? Well, let's just start with uh, one thing from Paul's list. I want to focus specifically on uh, verse 12 of Romans 12. Paul says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering and persevere in prayer. You know, so often when we talk about rejoicing, it's always in relationship to a happy and an excited feeling. And that's always a good thing. But rejoicing in hope means that we rejoice even when we might not know how to feel, even when we don't know what's coming. We rejoice because we have hope. And being patient in suffering, I mean, we're not really patient with much, but especially with our suffering. We often want it to end quickly, and yet, because of Jesus, we can be patient in our suffering, especially as we reflect on the cross and are reminded of how he suffered for us. And persevering in prayer, being fervent in our prayer, this is something that Paul says to so many of his congregations, and this is something that Jesus is constantly doing throughout Scripture. Just spending time in prayer. Uh, for the past few weeks as we've journeyed into the season of Lent, I've been talking with the youth about what it means to just constantly be in prayer. To always be ready to, to pray. To be thinking about how we can pray for one another. Prayer is, is something that is so simple and that it's a reminder of all the grace that we receive. Prayer reorients our lives back to God. 
and it builds our relationship with him. And it reminds us that he is always listening. It reminds us of his mercy and his grace and his love for us. And so we are persistent in our prayer. My hope and prayer for all of us, church, is that each and every day we're reminded of this reality of our life in Christ. That we're reminded of these uh, God-given blinders that actually allow us to see. That we are focused on the cross. That as Jesus reorients our lives with a new way to live. As we're drawn to the cross where we see our sins, we know that our sins are dead. And that our new life in Christ has begun. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.